invite you to join with me in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we're continuing our I Am series and just wanted to say before, as you guys are finding John chapter 10, just thank you to the, to the praise team for you guys leading us in worship this morning. Um, I had not heard that second song until earlier this week and I was listening to it and the words were just so rich and so good uh, of the cross of Christ. And so I hope that you received that, that word and it was just a hope and encouragement to you this morning as we get a chance to now look uh, at a great passage of Scripture. And, and as we do, as you saw, the title for today is Jesus Making the Declaration That I Am the Door. And I was thinking of some famous doors or maybe infamous doors in my life. Uh, one of the most famous, many of you guys know, in Wittenberg, Germany, a uh, long time ago, a guy by the name of Martin Luther decided to go to some doors, nail some things, 95 theses on a door, and launched the uh, Protestant Reformation. Pretty big deal, pretty big doors, pretty famous. I also remember some pretty, uh, at least infamous doors in my life of the closet doors that my brother Jeff and I, we shared a room together, and as brothers do, we tend to wrestle and tend to have, you know, fun adventures. And I was telling Tim, because he was like, what was it like, you know, uh, having two older brothers and just that kind of thing that I get picked on? I was like, not really, except there were a couple of times where Jeff and I, we would be in there, and we liked Star Wars, and if you don't like Star Wars, I'll pray for you, but we liked Star Wars, and we enjoyed being able to try to, you know, use the Force and that kind of thing, and some of you might remember in the original one, before it even was called A New Hope, in 1977, Luke Skywalker is with Han Solo on the Millennium Falcon, and Obi-Wan Kenobi is training him in the Force, and he puts this helmet on his head, and there's this little windy ball, like shooting laser beams at him, and Luke's got his lightsaber, and he's trying to block him, he's doing his thing, and then Obi-Wan Kenobi says, we're going to put the blast shield down, and he's like, I can't even see, and he's like, that's the point, uh, and so Jeff thought that would be fun for me. He was like, let's have a pillow fight, and we're going to put a pillowcase kind of over your head, and then you're going to try and block the, the pillow blows that are coming from me, and let's just say that a door I ran into was a closet door. It got unhinged several times to the point where eventually my dad was like, why do we even have a closet door? He just took them off the hinges and that was done. So those are some other doors. Uh, when I was at the church in Oklahoma, uh, I would lock up most nights and uh, we had a lot of doors in that, in that place. And I can just remember uh, at one point I had learned the rhythm pretty well and I'd be turning off lights, setting thermostats, turning off lights, making sure doors are locked, doing that whole thing. And I finally kind of got to the point to where I could do it, to where I could turn off the lights and I could just kind of walk through. But the arrogance in me thought that I could do that all the time. And uh, I remember walking, you know those, those metal doors where you open up the tube, but there's still like a pole in the middle so it'll latch? And I was doing my thing and just boom. And I was just like, there's, there's a door, another infamous door in my life. Uh, another great door was, um, I can remember uh, I had the opportunity to be able to, to sit in this side room with, with my dad and one of my best friends. And then it was the time where my dad says, time, Stephen, let's go. And uh, we walked out of this door and into a room similar to this. And I stood at the front of an auditorium with my dad, who was going to perform our, my wedding ceremony, uh, and me and my best man. And then those doors eventually opened up and here came my bride. Those were some pretty famous doors in my life, pretty impactful doors. But as we're looking at today, it wasn't, for me, it was at the age of six that I, I heard the message of the gospel repeatedly in my home growing up. And I'm grateful for that. I know not everyone has that. But I remember at the age of six, I came to understand my need for a savior because of my sin. And that if I would place my faith and enter into a relationship with Christ, I would be in him and I would have salvation for eternity. 
in that moment. I did maybe not realize it, didn't know the wording for it, but little did I know that in that moment I entered through the door and into a relationship with Christ, the most powerful and impactful door of my entire life. And so as we read this passage, I, I want you to follow along. John chapter 10, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. And the main point of today is really simple. Jesus is the door. But let's look at what it says. John chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, or the watchman, the porter, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This is a figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Pray with me. Father, as we come and take a moment to look at your word, uh, Father, I pray that we would hear you, that we would hear your voice, that we hear the voice of Jesus in this moment. So where you sit right now, would you pray right now for yourself and just say, God, please let me hear you today. Ask him that he would speak to you. And if you would, would you pray for me that I will try as best as I can to communicate what it is that he's saying in this passage so that we can hear him. Well, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus states two different times, this is the main point of all of today, that he is the door. I am the door. He makes this declaration in verse 7. So if you want to underline it, do it. Verse 7 and verse 9, two different times. He says, I am the door. But in order to kind of get an idea of what's going on, you need a little bit of context, not only in the passage, but also in that culture. For majority of us, I would imagine in this room, we're not accustomed to what's known as an agrarian culture or an agricultural culture. Uh, we're not used to the idea of farming or sheep or that kind of thing. It's just not as common for us. But to Jesus' audience, when he's bringing up this agrarian kind of imagery, they are following with him 100%. They get every aspect of what it is that he is describing in this moment. So we kind of have to put ourselves in that, and we will in just a moment. But the other thing is that Jesus is not just all of a sudden speaking up in chapter 10. As many of you know, the, the chapter's numbers and the verses were added later by people for us to help find different passages of Scripture. But this is one of those moments where the division of chapter 9 and chapter 10, you don't really need chapter 10. It makes chapter 9 a really long chapter, but it kind of interrupts the flow because if you're like me, when I'm reading my Scripture, a lot of times I might read a chapter at a time, and then I'm going to come back later and pick back up, but I'm not really connecting the two. And to really grasp the context of chapter 10, you have to know chapter 9. And some of you are nervous because you're like, we're going to go over two chapters today, and that's not what we're going to do. But in chapter 9, just very briefly, what we find is the story of a blind man 
who is miraculously given sight by Jesus. He heals him of that. And as a result, everybody is super excited because a blind man can see. That would be a moment of, of a lot of commotion and excitement. Uh, and so what happens is it says like his friends, those within this community that know this, they want to take him to the Pharisees. They want to take this blind man who can now see to the religious leaders to kind of share in this because also it would be a means by which he's kind of getting restored to be able to have proper practice in religion and uh, within the temple. So when he comes to the Pharisees, the Pharisees are like, were you really blind from birth? Like, we're are you faking? Like, was this kind of a scam? And they even knew this. They knew the truth of who this guy was, but they ask him, have you actually been blind? They basically interrogate him. And then they bring in his parents and like, is he, he, was he actually blind? And they say, yes, he was. The problem that they had was that the blind man who can now see was saying, the person who healed me is Jesus. And if he has that kind of power, he is of God. And they did not like that whatsoever. So much so that this is where the context kind of fits in, is you can look in your own passage there, in your own copy of the scriptures, but in John chapter 9, verse 34, there's this moment where the blind man and the religious leaders are having this dialogue to the point to where they're so frustrated with him and don't believe him and don't want Jesus to be glorified. They answered the blind man and said, you were born entirely in sins. And are you teaching us? And there's this little phrase, so they put him out. Literally, they cast him out. And what's beautiful in this moment is that you have this beautiful picture in the very next verse of chapter 9, verse 35, of where you have this picture really of a shepherd finding a lost sheep, finding the sheep that has been cast out. And so it says in verse 35 of chapter 9, Jesus heard that they had put him out, cast him out, and finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and that's, that's remarkable because he gave him sight, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking to you. You've seen him and you've heard him. And he said, Lord, I believed, and he worshiped. Jesus goes on and says, For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said, We are not blind too, are we? You're not talking about us. And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would, have, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. And when you get to the very next verse, it's chapter 10, verse 1. That's the context of why Jesus is saying what he's saying. Because he's using the imagery of someone being cast out. And in that agrarian culture, one, they understood sheep, but they also understood very precious to them was this idea of the Lord as our shepherd. Like that was something that like we are in the flock of God. Like, like we, we are his sheep because of how, where we've been born and, and how we were raised and what tribe I'm in. Like I'm, I'm definitely in. And so what Jesus does in chapter 10 is he begins to share kind of one primary truth from two familiar object illustrations. And the, the big issue, the big primary truth is that this idea of, are you in the flock? Are you one of the sheep in God's flock and under his care? And again, each person listening to Jesus would say, I absolutely am. 
But Jesus is wanting to confront this issue, so he uses imagery that they would know, shepherds, sheep, sheep pens, so on and so forth. And as he does so, and as he uses this imagery, you're going to find that he kind of uses an object illustration in verses 1 through 5. And then verse 6, there's a transition verse because they're not getting it. They're not understanding. So he uses similar idea and imagery, but it's a little bit different in verses 7 through 10. And it's, it's always been something that's kind of confused me because it seems like he's just talking about sheep and shepherds, so it's all the same. But there's, there's a little bit of nuance between verses 1 through 5 and 7 through 10 of what Jesus is trying to illustrate. And so to give you a little bit of an idea, because I said we need a little bit of cultural context of an agrarian culture that's foreign to us, is in that day and time, there would have been two kinds of sheep pens. The first would be what would be known as like a village sheep pen. And I think we have a picture of that one. Can we show that one? So this one doesn't have the sheep in it, but you can kind of see like there was this makeshift gate that they would place in front of the entranceway, the, the door. And so sometimes this was known as a door or a gate. But you would have just stone and some bramble that would be kind of around it to try to keep people out and also keep the sheep in and keep them protected. But what would happen is uh, a village or a city sheep pen or sheepfold like this would be filled with a whole variety of sheep. Like there would be a, a whole bunch of different ones because it was communal. So a lot of shepherds are dropping their sheep off here and a porter or a watchman or a doorkeeper is making sure that those sheep are taken care of, that they're safe, so that the shepherd, who's now in the city, he's back home in town, he can go home, get a good night's sleep, show up early in the morning, come get his sheep out, but just his sheep, because those are his. Why would he want the other ones? So that's the first thing, is that's the first kind of sheep pen that, that, you, would, that you would have. The other kind, and we'll, we'll show you a picture of that a little bit later, was there's the village or city sheep pen, but then there was also a countryside sheep pen. And I'll show you that in a little bit later. But the, the issue that was going on is people today, when they read John chapter 10, they want to go, well, does the sheep fold, what does it represent? What's the imagery that Jesus is using here? Does the sheep fold represent heaven? Well, I sure hope not, because robbers and thieves can break in. So I hope that the sheepfold does not represent heaven. The other thing is people say, well, does the sheepfold, does it represent salvation? Well, I would say that in verses 1 through 5, I, I sure hope not, because the sheep already know their shepherd's voice. They're already his sheep. Later on, he, again, he changes. There's a little bit of a nuance to it. So people go, well, what does the sheepfold represent? It has to represent something. And I just say, it represents a sheepfold. It's as simple as that. It's just Jesus using a common everyday illustration to make here at the beginning his, his first point of he's wanting to focus on, on the shepherd. He's wanting to focus on there was this blind man that you guys cast out who couldn't see but can see. You threw him out. He was like a sheep without a shepherd and now he's coming into my fold, and he believes in me, he hears me, he sees me, he knows my voice. He's of mine. And so let's look for a little bit more at the village, the city sheepfold, verses 1 through 5. And the main question I would pose in verses 1 through 5 is just asking you this question. Do you know his voice? Can you perceive and understand when Jesus is talking to you? Do you know his voice? So 
in verses 1 through 5, we see that people are trying to steal sheep. You see that in verse 1. They want to sneak in. Uh, they they, they, they want to take them. They'll climb up over the walls. They're going to get, try to get in some, some shape or form in this village sheepfold. And what they would do is sometimes when robbers and thieves would get in, they might go over the wall and sneak in and break in. And what they would do is kind of difficult to get like a sheep that's just kind of moving around, doing its thing. They would break its leg, and then they'd have the ability to kind of throw it over the wall. And they don't care if it gets hurt because they just want to use the sheep. They want the sheep for its wool or for its meat. They're not caring about its livelihood or for its benefit. It's all for them. They're okay being abusive, deceptive, and very selfish. That, what can you give me? And Jesus is saying, that's who robbers and thieves are. He's really kind of throwing a not-so-subtle jab at the religious leaders (laughs) and at false prophets and at false shepherds that you don't have the best interest of the sheep at heart and at hand. And we're going to see more of that later on. The other, as I mentioned to you, is that in that sheepfold, in the city or the village sheepfold, is, again, there would be sheep of all different flocks there together. And what they didn't do in that day and time is they didn't brand, and they, they didn't tag the, the sheep. So the question would be, well, how do all these sheep from all of these different flocks, how are they going to come out of there and be with their, with their appropriate shepherd? And what would happen is, early in the morning, let's, 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 say, let's say 5 a.m., the shepherd wakes up. He's got himself a good night's sleep. He's going to go get his sheep out of the communal sheep pen. And he shows up and the porter or the watchman of the sheepfold recognizes the shepherd and says, okay, you're a legit shepherd. So now you can call to your sheep. And that's all that the shepherd would do. He wouldn't go in and be like, well, there's Betty and there's Susie and there's Tom. And, and he's just pulling them out. All he would do is stand at the opening of that gate or that door and say, Betty, come on. Susie, come on. And some of you might be like, at least I, I am. I'm like, that's kind of weird, but you have pets. Some of you, unfortunately, have cats. No offense, but hopefully you have a dog. And, and what you have is you have these animals that you're, you draw to yourself, and you use probably even a certain cadence with your voice without even realizing it. I've heard some of you like, oh, come here, Shmookie, Shmookie. And they're like, oh, that's my, that's my master. That's the one that I need to run to because I know his voice And so they just scurry on out the door and they're following you along because they know your voice and they also know you. They know that you are safe and someone reliable. You are their shepherd. The same would be true if I would say of a parent. I could be with me and my brothers in a large setting and all of a sudden I could hear either a certain whistle or a certain pitch of tone from my mother, especially if the middle name was involved, and I was like, oh, Radar, where is she at? Like, I, I, it's time to address the authority in the room and follow. And so we, we kind of all get this, the idea that they could understand. But I love verse 3 where he says, The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He knows your name. Sometimes we feel like God is this distant deity. Does he care? He knows your name. And he leads you out. He's involved in your life. He cares. He's a good shepherd. Again, we'll see more of that next week. And so, uh, and so what we have is, the, is this question of, well, who is your shepherd? Do you know his voice? And so this shepherd at this point, he, he's got them out of the sheepfold. He's, he's divided them out of the rest of the other flocks because those aren't his. These are his. And what he would do is he would literally lead them out into the countryside. 
He would take them out for the purpose that they could stretch their legs, that they could walk, that they could graze, that they could drink, that they could live life not cooped up like this, but live life free and abundant and have something that's worthwhile in living. Again, we're going to get more on this next week, this idea of a shepherd, but I would ask this. Do you understand that you need someone to follow, someone you can trust, someone, even though you are the self-made, independent, financially set, experienced individual, you still need a shepherd. I don't care how much you've got it under control. You need Jesus. You have to have someone of a greater authority than you. Because if we are sheep, we are easy to get wayward. We are easy to go off on our own path and do some things that are ridiculous. And there are people and individuals and systems and cultures out there that they want to tell you what to do. And here's the reality. As much as we think that we think for ourselves, we are so easily swayed and influenced. Who is influencing you? Who is really determining your your philosophy of life. You're getting it from somewhere. We like to think, I'm living my own life. You are getting your orders from somewhere, whether you realize it or not. Who is your shepherd? Who is your guide? Who Who is he? Also, when he calls you, do you hear? Do you recognize his voice? Or is it like, especially before caller ID, some of you are like, I've always known caller ID. You just pick up the phone and it says who it is. But I can remember picking up the phone and someone might call and I would answer it and I'd say hello and they go, hey, how are you? And I'm like, I don't know who you are, but hey, you, it's good to hear from you. Tell me about yourself. Maybe I'll get some context clues to figure out what your name is so you don't feel embarrassed because I don't recognize your voice. Some people, I just don't recognize their voice. I just don't know you that well. But you think I know you. Do you know his voice? It's so easy to become deceived and deceptive by this idea of, of, is that God talking to me, or is that just me in my own head trying to think something or conjure something up that sounds like what God might say or ask me to do? And I think one of the biggest struggles that I've had that, that people have shared with me is, how do I know that God is speaking to me? Does he talk to me audibly? Is it, is it like a breeze in the wind? Like, how do I know that God is speaking to me? And the best advice that I've always given on this issue is, God speaks to his children by the Holy Spirit through the word, scripture, through prayer, circumstances, and people. Dr. Henry Blackaby provided that to me years ago, and I've taken it ever since because I think it's good. Sometimes we wonder, is God speaking to me? God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit through his word, prayer, circumstances, and people. And what I would say is if your prayer life, other people or circumstances are contradictory to what the word says, then God ain't speaking to you because God will not contradict himself. That's why it is so crucial that we know the word so that we know, is this God speaking to me? Is he contradicting himself? Because he can't. So I need to know his word because this is his revelation ultimately to me of what he has to say about himself. So I want to be able to take whenever I am. I've been in that moment where I'm praying. I'm like, God, do you want me to marry this girl? God, do you want me to move at this place? God, do you want me to take this job? And I'm asking real life issues of what should I do in this moment? And I'm just kind of battling through. And then I step back and I'm like, yeah, I think it's okay to marry this girl. I mean, I know she doesn't love Jesus, but she's really hot. And, and it's what, you know, I think it'd be fine. I mean, I have a peace about it. And if you have a peace about it, then it must be okay. And it's one of those things, if you come back to Scripture and go, oh yeah, don't be unequally yoked. Maybe that wasn't God speaking to me. Maybe that was the burrito I ate last night, and I just kind of wanted what I wanted. 
We use Scripture to be our, our arbiter of truth because He is truth. That's why it's so good and so, so needed and necessary to get into the Word. So as we kind of come to an end of this first point is, does He know your name? Do you know His voice? And be careful about the strangers who want to lure you in because they want to. So you get into this transition verse, verse 6. The transition verse, I think it's so funny. The, the gospel writer John says, um, so Jesus said, to, or excuse me, verse 6, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they didn't get it. They didn't understand what these things were which he had been saying to them. It's not that they don't understand the words coming out of his mouth. They're just not following. They're, they're just having trouble with it. So Jesus now, I believe, shifts his, his, his illustration with similar imagery, but kind of a different way of going about it. And the reason why I do is because when you get to verse 7, when Jesus says to them, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, I always struggled with, okay, I get that. But in verse 2, he, it says, but he who enters by the door, sometimes I would read that and go, oh, this is the door passage. So this is Jesus right here talking. And so let's say if you substituted Jesus for door. In verse 2, but he who enters by Jesus is a shepherd of the sheep? That doesn't sound right. Jesus is the shepherd. So he's using different imagery because he's talking about a communal village city sheep pen in these first few verses. But in context, he's just said that shepherd got those sheep out of that communal sheep pen. Now he's on the countryside. Now he's shifted settings of his object illustration of now we're out we're out in the countryside, and a countryside sheep pen is a little different from a village or city sheep pen. And so what we have is we get to this countryside, and I guess the real question, if the first question for verses 1 through 5 was, was do, you, do you hear his voice? Do you know his voice? The second question would be, have you entered through the door? Have you entered through the door? And so a countryside sheep pen was a lot simpler uh, it was still an enclosure, but it had no door. Can we show that first picture of the countryside? countryside? That's hard to say, countryside uh, sheepfold. Um, so this might be an idea of like out in the country. You're, you're, you're out in the country, kind of out in the wilderness, if you will, but because you aren't back home, you need a safe place to be able to take your sheep so that way they aren't attacked and they aren't just out in the open. And so you would come to a place like this, and as you can see, there, there, there's, there's, no, there's just an opening, there's no door, there's no gate, there's no makeshift anything to be able to cover that. And so the sheep would be in here congregating, but then if you go to that next picture, what you have is literally a shepherd out in the countryside would be sitting, laying across the door, because the shepherd is the door. Jesus is not only the good shepherd, as we'll see next week, but he's also the door to protect us, to provide for us, to lead us, to be good to us, to make sure that nothing else comes in to get us. He is the door. And so in the first section, he's not talking about being the door. He's talking about being the shepherd. But in the second section, he is talking about being the door because he's, again, changing a little bit of the imagery to, to make his point of have you entered through the door? Have you entered into a relationship with, with Jesus? And so the sheep, they cannot leave. The predators cannot enter. If you look at verse 8 specifically, it says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Predators cannot enter. Thieves and robbers, think of even like wolves and sheep's clothing, if you will, from the Sermon on the Mount. Like, no one's going to get to these sheep. You're protected. You're safe. 
And when you enter through the door, verse 9, it's when he says again the second time, I am the door, and he says, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Like, salvation is yours. Safety is yours. Protection is yours. Doesn't mean it'll be easy, but, 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 but you're in. And then he says, at that point, I will go in and out and, fi- and will go in and out and find pasture. It's not that he's just going to, again, keep you keep cooped up in that sheep pen. He's going to still take you out to pasture, let you live that life, but you are truly, truly his. And then you get to verse 10, and he talks about, again, these thieves. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But what Jesus emphasizes is that's what they do, but this is what I do. He's almost going back to being a shepherd at this point. (laughs) The shepherd is the door, and the shepherd is one who wants to give you life and have it abundant. It's not that it will be perfect. It's not all about this idea of having income or wealth. It's not getting everything you want or you desire. But what you are full of is hope and victory and truth. In your life right now, would you say that it is abundant? You may not have every desire of your heart, but is your life abundant and full? And I think it has everything to do with your proximity to the shepherd. Because a sheep that is close to his shepherd knows that he has it good, especially if that's a good shepherd. Happy sheep are in the presence of their shepherd. Are you in the presence of God, regularly disciplined? And so, as we kind of conclude here, the question is, as I, as I posed last week, is so what? Okay, good, Jesus is the door. What does that matter? How does that, how does that affect anything? So, so what? Well, the first is this. The door is salvation, and the door is protection and security. Those are the first two things. The door is salvation, and the door is protection and security. We say, we're saying he's the door. Why does that matter? He's salvation. He's protection and security. On the issue of salvation, the door is salvation. You cannot enter the presence of God through any other door. Jesus is the only way. He is it. That is the only means of salvation. We read it earlier in our scripture reading out of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Remember those doors that I told you at the very beginning of our time, like Martin Luther's door in Wittenberg, Germany, and the closet door and all that kind of stuff I talked about earlier? There's a lot of doors that that are in front of us in our life. There's a lot of options and opportunities that you could walk through that door. You could take that opportunity. Maybe it's wise, maybe it's unwise. And sometimes what we do is we see the different doors that are there in front of us, and we're like, I feel like God has kind of let me down because I didn't get what I wanted or because I've been a little bit hurt, or whatever it may be, and we start looking at, well, maybe there's another door that I could enter through that I could find life abundant. And what happens is, is we begin to open those things up of maybe other religions, or maybe the idea of being an agnostic, or being an atheist, of I'm going to live my own life, I'll be my own God, I'll be my own uh, rule and authority. And we almost treat this life like a shopping mall of, oh, I'll, I'll walk into this store now, and I'll walk into that store, and I'll see what you have to offer. I'll see what you have to offer, and let's see what you can do for me and what you can provide for me. And what Jesus is saying is, I can provide you everlasting life. No one else can. They're thieves and they're robbers. It's not going to be, it's not gonna be what, it, what, it, what you think it's going to be. But the second thing that he offers is the door is protection and security. You are protected and secure because within the shepherd's fold, the good shepherd, there is love and warmth and care for those who enter into his presence. Again, protection and security, sometimes we want that to mean I got it easy. 
I was just talking about this the other night with my wife. I think far too often the deceptive lie within American Christianity is that the goal is that I'm in Christ, so I'm comfortable. He's not, his primary aim is not your comfort. His primary aim is his glory. His name. But man, I get it. I want it easy. It's nice when it's easy. But that's not our primary thing. But yet through it all, even when it is difficult, and even when it's not really that safe, because what would you say to the person who gave their life to Jesus, lived passionately for him, and then their names are in Hebrews Hall of Faith, chapter 11, and it's like these people were living passionately for God, and they got sawn in two. They got stoned to death. They got stabbed with swords. It's like, well, were they really that faithful? And it's like they were, and they loved God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what they experienced was maybe not safety per se, but they had eternal protection and security forever. And they believed that it was worth it. They even laid their comfort, their life at the altar of knowing that he is worth living for, he's worth dying for. So we are secure wherever we go because the shepherd is with you. You are protected and secured in the sheepfold because Jesus is the door, and you are protected and secure out in the world, out in the pasture, because Jesus is your shepherd. He's always with you. The shepherd is so good. The third so what is this? The first two are the door of salvation, the door is protection and security. The third is beware. You're like, well, what? I'll explain. It's kind of odd that I want to end with this, but I think it's important because it's how Jesus more or less ends, is beware. There are those who only want to use and abuse and take from you and deceive you. And Jesus isn't pulling this idea just out of thin air. He's pulling this idea of what the audience at that day and time would have understood. Because again, the imagery of God being the shepherd of the people of Israel was very prevalent and relevant in this moment. They would have completely understood the context And so I want to just give you a few verses of Old Testament scripture to kind of help highlight this. So listen to this. Jeremiah 7, 11, it says, Has this house, this is God speaking, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? This is actually the verse that Jesus references when he cleanses the temple of all of the ungodliness and unrighteousness of the selling of things in the temple. And they use specifically that idea, that term, robbers. Numbers chapter 27, it says, May the Lord, the God of spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them, who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. That we would have a good shepherd that would see the ones who have been cast out and he wants to bring them in. He wants to bring you in to his fold. Would you hear his voice? He also speaks of false shepherds. Most people believe that this is where Jesus is ultimately pulling from, is Ezekiel 34. And I would encourage you, man, read this chapter when you go home. Ezekiel 34, verse 2, it says, Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Uh, 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 You have sought uh, for the lost, but with force and severity, you have dominated them. What Jesus is saying is, one, there 
are literally shepherds out there who are the worst kind of shepherds. They actually have a flock of sheep that they're responsible for, literally. And what they did was like, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat you. I'm not going to take care of you. I just want your wool. I just want to use you. That is the world. But then also, the prophet Ezekiel is going after the false prophets and the leaders of Israel saying, you guys are like under shepherds, under the great shepherd. And what you're doing to this country and how you're leading them is just atrocious and it's awful. Do you not recognize that you are using and abusing to where you're eating, you're eating your own sheep? Like, well, like, how does that work as a shepherd? Especially if you run out of all your sheep because you ate them all. Like, like your intent is to is to, to guide the flock, to protect the flock, that when they get sick, you help strengthen them. When they get diseased, you help heal them. When they're broken, you bind up their broken limb and you help set it right so that they can go forward and live. You, you've completely missed the point. And Jesus, what he's doing in this moment is, I know a lot of times, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to stir the pot, but in a lot of times in verse 10, we equate verse 10 with Satan. And I think we can equate that he is the ultimate deceiver, yes, and he is like a thief who would steal, kill, and destroy. And I think it's perfectly fine to be like, yes, that is an attribute of him. But Jesus is talking about false shepherds primarily in this moment. He's talking to religious leaders who just cast a guy out from their religious system because they didn't like what he had to say and how he got healed. And he's saying, these guys are dangerous, like, like, be nervous around these individuals. Flee from these individuals because they are strangers who just want to harm you. They just want to steal, kill, and destroy you, just like the shepherds of old in Ezekiel. So as we finish, simple questions. Are you his sheep? Can you say with full confidence, I, I, I hear his voice, I know his voice. I know God has spoken to me, and is still speaking to me. I know that I have a relationship with him. The other thing is, some would say, well, I'm already a sheep, so I'm good to go. Are you a healthy one? And a healthy sheep is right next to his shepherd, so that the shepherd can heal him when he's diseased, can bind him when he is broken, can help him get cured when he is sick. If you are a sheep, you hear his voice, but you are off just gallivanting out in the pasture and you're all lost. You're still his sheep, but, but what are you doing? Like You're a danger to yourself in this moment. Hear his voice and, and crawl back up into his presence. Run back into his presence. So are you a healthy one? Are you a healthy sheep? And then the practical item that I just kind of wanted to mention to you is that you might take with you this idea of being healthy is when you don't regularly discipline, get yourself into his word, you will have difficulty hearing his voice of being able to decipher, is that God or is that the world? Is that God or is that my idea? Is that God? You need to be in his word because when you can't hear his voice, that's when we begin to drift away, isn't it? I can't tell you how many times I've counseled different individuals and they're like, my life is just in shambles. My, my marriage is struggling. My kids are just going nuts or, or my, my own life personally. And I, I won't say it in a con, condemning or judgmental way, but it's just like, 
What are, you, what are you learning from God right now? I haven't been in the Word in ages. Man, we, we need the shepherd and his voice in our life regularly because he is that bread of life and his word is the bread. So if you really want to live, man, get into his word. Commit to that this week. Commit to getting into it. And don't set yourself up for failure. I've seen too many specifically men do this. If I'm going to read the Bible this week and I'm going to start in Genesis and by the end of the week, I'll be through the end of Deuteronomy. Man, just read a chapter tomorrow. Maybe even just read like a Psalm. Just let yourself experience the victory of I read the scripture and, and I got it, like I understood it. And then build from that. Don't set yourself up for, well, I'm going to read through the whole New Testament. You're probably not, but eventually you will. And so as we close, would you bow your head and close your eyes and just listen to my voice? Are you his sheep? Do you hear and do you know his voice? Maybe for some of you, you're, you're wandering through this life and it's not an issue for you of, I know his voice, I just don't think I've ever actually heard him call me by name. I don't know that I know him. Friend, if, if you're an individual who's like, man, I would like him to know my name. I want him to call after me. I've tried all kinds of different avenues and paths to live this life, and I keep coming up empty time and again. In just a moment, we're, we're, we're going to sing a song, and some people are going to sing, some people are going to be praying. But friend, if, if, if you have any desire of just wanting to take a, a step toward understanding and discussing what it means to be in the fold of God, I'll just be sitting up here praying. Just come and visit with me. Introduce yourself to me, and we'll we'll take the next steps of what it looks like for, for us to have a conversation and go a little bit deeper. Look at what Scripture has to say. So that's for some of you this morning. That's what you need to do. You don't need to sing. You know you, you need to talk to somebody. But for others of you, you are in the fold of God, but are you a healthy sheep? Right now, not a year ago, right now, are you in a healthy relationship with the shepherd? Are you close enough to his presence where you can hear his voice and where he can get a hold of you and help heal you when you're, when you're sick and when you're diseased, when you're broken, he can help bind you up and set the bone so that you can go and live a life abundantly. And right now, if, you're, if you have an area of life that you would say is unconfessed sin, before you utter up empty words to God in this hymn, confess your known sin, maybe even your unintentional sin to God right now and, and believe 1 John 1, 9 that he is faithful and just to forgive me of all unrighteousness when I confess this to him. I pray that Several, if not all of you, could walk out today with just like a heavy burden lifted off of you that you've been carrying for far too long that only your shepherd can bear. Because he can heal, he can cure, and he can mend your brokenness. Father, I pray that for just a moment, we would have a moment in time of where we would get honest with you and not just think about the next thing, not just 
utter words on a screen from a familiar hymn, but that we would get honest with you because it could set the trajectory of the rest of this week in a way that we were not expecting. To have peace and hope even in the midst of storm and calamity because you are a good shepherd and we've entered into your presence through the door that is Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand, pray, confess, come talk to me if you would like. And as you do, then begin to sing and just worship the Lord. But man, confess before you do. Spend some time with him.